First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Amen. Our God is so very, very good uh, to us. Well, good morning, church family. Uh, As you know, we are in the middle of a a very significant and special five-week stretch in uh, the life of our church that we're calling Greater Things for the Next 100. And uh, really, this is uh, the kickoff of a three-year initiative for our church as we pursue together Uh, the vision that God has given us. It's a vision of planting uh, one church each year for the next 10 years. Uh, Many here in the Space Coast, some in some of the major uh, urban centers of our nation. It's a vision of expanding our uh, facility to make room uh, to be able to share the gospel with more of our neighbors in the years to come. As you know, uh, work has already started right next door on our new worship center and atrium. And uh, it's going to be an exciting uh, couple of weeks coming up. In fact, they told us uh, this past week that tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. is when the first steal uh, is going uh, to go up. And so excited about that. And uh, just seeing that, uh, that progress, continue to pray for the construction workers who are there, pray for their safety, even over the next few weeks, especially, and uh, pray, of course, also for their salvation. We would see even more of uh, these uh, men and, and women who are on our site uh, come to faith in Christ well, the, during the time that they are here. Uh, we're now uh, one week away from our Commitment Sunday. And uh, leading up uh, to that day, the question that uh, we've been praying about uh, as individuals and and couples and families, we've been asking the Lord how he is leading us to grow and to go and to give for the next 100. Uh, If you've been with us the past few weeks, you know that we've already spent one Sunday each in the word of God talking about those first two words. We spent one Sunday talking about that word grow and what it means uh, to grow in Christ, to grow in all areas of our life as his disciple. We spent a week uh, last Sunday talking about what it means to go, uh, to live on mission for the Lord. And today we come to our give week. And we have the chance uh, to look in God's word and to talk about what it means to sacrificially give together for the Lord and what he's doing in and through our church. Before we dive into uh, God's word this morning, as we're going to talk about uh, the giving aspect of greater things today, I want to just give you kind of a quick rundown on where we stand right now uh, with this project. And, and really, I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for your faithfulness to give to the Lord over these last three years. Uh, really, uh, where we are right now on, on the cusp uh, of these dreams that God has put in our heart of becoming a reality is really because of your faithfulness uh, to give to the Lord. You know, if, if you think about it, we started this journey three years ago, and about half of the last three years has been affected uh, by something that uh, we know as COVID-19. Right, this global pandemic has been about 18 months of the three years that we've been in this journey. And yet, as I shared with you a few weeks ago in our kickoff Sunday, even over the last 18 months, even during the very months of this pandemic, your giving to the Lord has actually increased. You're giving to the Lord both just through our normal, just offering to the church. You're giving to the Lord specifically towards greater things have both increased during this last year and a half. And if you had told me that 
last March or April when I was every Saturday night, I was in this room uh, uh, preaching to a camera with like two people in the room and we weren't able to meet together for three months last year. If you had told me that that was going to happen, I probably would not have believed you. And, you know, really, this has just been another one of those times where the Lord has just kind of been speaking to me and just stretching my faith and reminding me of the truth that uh, his arm is not too short to accomplish every single thing that he intends to do. He is able to do it all. Uh, You know, we uh, set up our first Greater Things effort so that 90% of what was given went to the facility expansion. 10% was set aside uh, for the planting of churches. And we're setting up this next phase of Greater Things the very same way. But with regard to the cost of the facility expansion, our goal that we shared a couple of years ago was that by the time that we moved into that building, that we would be uh, already about 50% of it having been paid for. And the good news is we are already just about there at that 50% mark with still over a year to go. And so, uh, Lord willing, we're, we're on track to far surpass that goal. But really, my heart behind this giving portion of Greater Things for the next 100 is that over the next three years, as we sacrificially give, that we could retire the remaining debt on this project as quickly as we possibly can. I've shared this with many of the leaders in our church, but I want to share it today as well. Our, our goal is to retire all the remaining debt on this project within the next 10 years. Uh, and really, that's just following the historical precedent of our church. When our church relocated from its original campus in downtown Melbourne to where we are today, uh, the church was able to completely retire the debt on the buildings we're in right now within the first 10 years of being here. And uh, Lord willing, I pray that that will happen again uh, with this project. I know there, there may be some who are here who are saying, well, pastor, you know, man, I love that. I'm, I'm all behind that and, and I support that. But, you know, we, you know, we've been giving over these last three years, you know, sacrificially to greater things. Now, you know, you're telling us we're moving into another three years of greater things. And, and you know, is this just going to be kind of a perpetual thing, right? You know, just, uh, just one, you know, effort after the next indefinitely. And that is a, a very fair question. But that question reminds me uh, of the name of the building campaign for our church when these buildings were built. Some of you were here 20 years ago and you remember the name of it, but the name of that campaign was Building for Eternity. If you think about it, there's two different ways you can understand that, right? You can understand that as we're building for eternity, but also we are building for eternity and we are paying for it for eternity as well. Uh, As as I thought about that, I I thought also about, you know, our name for this campaign actually is susceptible to the same thing. Greater things for the next 100, right? And so for the 100 years, are we going to be in this for 100 years? But to answer that question, that, that is not the plan. Uh, And honestly, by faith, I do not believe that another campaign is going to be necessary after uh, this next three-year effort. And and this is exciting, I believe, that if in the next three years uh, we give together approximately the same amount as as has been given over the last three years, then we're going to be able to meet that goal of retiring the debt, all of the debt on these buildings within the next decade without the need for another campaign. Obviously, if more is given over the next three years, we'll retire that debt even more quickly. And what, what an awesome day that will be. 
right, to once again get to that place as a church where uh, everything that is given, all of our regular giving each year is 100% able to go to kingdom efforts here and around the world. But of course, today, when we talk about giving together, we need to always remember we are not ultimately talking about building a building. A building as beautiful as I believe it will be, as excited as we will be to move into that space and begin to do ministry there, it is still just a building. It is not permanent. It is temporary. It is just a tool that God has given us. Really, the ultimate reason we are giving is because of our friends and our neighbors and our family members who do not yet know Christ. And we're giving so that they'll have an opportunity in that space in the years to come to meet Jesus to be changed by his grace, just as we have been changed by his grace. We long to see lives change for eternity there in that new space, as well as in every church plant over the next 10 years that Lord willing is sent out from this place. We're giving together just as our mission statement says, so that disciples can be made here and everywhere for the glory of God. Well, does the Bible have anything to say to us about any of that? Right? Does the Bible have anything to say to us about where we are right now as a church? Does it have anything to say to us about that subject of giving? Does it have anything to say to us even on the subject of money and what our attitude towards money should be? Does it have anything to say to us about what our natural instinct oftentimes is, an instinct to, to lack faith, an instinct to worry about whether our needs are going to be met, whether even our collective needs as a church are going to be met? Does the Bible have anything to say about any of that? And you already know the answer. The Bible has something to say about all of that. And in fact, Jesus spoke about all of that in this greatest sermon that was ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. That's recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We've been looking at a different portion of the Sermon on the Mount each week for the last five weeks. And so I want to ask you, if you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, uh, would you turn with me now to Matthew chapter 6? Matthew 6. We're going to jump in uh, right about halfway through this incredible sermon that Jesus preached on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And what we're going to see are that these words that, were, that came off the lips of our Savior 2,000 years ago are just as pertinent, just as relevant for our life right now in the 21st century as they were the very day they were spoken. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? 
So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words from the lips of our Savior. And we do pray today that you would give us hearts that are open and receptive to your word. Father, speak to us and change us that we might live in a way that honors you in every area of our life. Father, we thank you for loving us, sending Jesus for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, you know, in the first half of Matthew chapter 6, in verses 1 through 18, which is actually the passage we're going to look at next week, Jesus speaks more to religious folks, and he speaks on the topic of hypocrisy. He talks about making sure that everything that we do, uh, that the spiritual things that we do are really being done for God and are not being done for ourselves and for our own glory. But here, starting in verse 19, the second half of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus isn't as much speaking to uh, religious people anymore. He's speaking about the way the rest of the world lives. He's speaking about the way the rest of the world uh, thinks, what they care about, what they worry about. And he's speaking about this because he does not want his disciples, his followers, to get sucked into that kind of living and that kind of thinking. And he knows that that temptation to live that way, to think that way, is always right at the doorstep. As usual, Jesus does not beat around the bush. He he gets right to the point, uh, right to the heart of the matter. And like a skilled surgeon with a scalpel in his hand, he asks four probing, cutting questions for each of us to answer today that really uncover where our heart is at with regard to these matters. The first question Jesus asks is this, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Look with me again in verse 19 and 20. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Now our treasures are the things that we value the most in this world, the things that we prize the most dearly. And according to Jesus, there's really only two places where our treasures can be. Our treasures can either be here on earth or our treasures can be in heaven. That's probably the first thing we need to think about is what does Jesus mean by that? What does he mean, for example, when he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth? Well, certainly he does not mean that uh, we should not uh, get a job or work hard or earn a wage, that the Bible talks about doing those things. 
Uh, He does not mean that it's wrong for a Christian to have a savings account or a retirement account or to put things away for a rainy day. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, we read about the ant and how the the industrious ant does those things. And we're commanded to be like the ant in that regard. Uh, Certainly, He also does not mean that we're not allowed or permitted as believers to have anything nice or to enjoy anything, that we're to despise everything in the world. In fact, we read in the New Testament that we we have been given uh, good gifts from God to enjoy, and we are to give him praise and give him thanks for those things. So what does he mean then when he says that we're not to have treasures on earth? Here's a working definition when Jesus talks about that, when he talks about treasures on earth, I believe he's talking about everything that we accumulate on earth that is just for us and just for now. Everything we accumulate on earth that is just for us and just for now. As followers of Christ, our goal in life should not be the same as the rest of the world. Our goal in life is not that we should try to accumulate as much stuff and as much wealth as we can so that in the here and now, we can live a life of luxury and spend it on ourselves. Jesus tells us not to put our treasure here. And if you notice, this is not a suggestion, right? The way this is worded in verse 20, this is a command from my Lord and from your Lord. He says to us, do not lay up treasures on earth. He gives us another command in the next verse. Jesus says, do lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Now, what are those? What are treasures in heaven? Well, here's a working definition of that. Treasure in heaven is everything that we do on earth that is for God's glory and is for forever. If treasures on earth are things that we accumulate for ourselves, then treasure in heaven are things that we do and things that we give that are for the Lord. If treasure on earth are things that are for the temporal, then treasure in heaven are things that are for the eternal. And in both verse 19 and in verse 20, Jesus gives us a pretty compelling reason of why we should be wanting to store our treasure in heaven instead of storing it on earth. And that's besides the fact that this is just how he's calling his disciples to live and to honor him and glorify him. But, But the reason that Jesus gives us here has to do with the fact that Jesus knows we want to put our treasure in a place where we can keep it. Right? We don't want to put our treasure somewhere we're going to lose it. He knows that. He knows we want to put our treasure somewhere where we can keep it forever. I want you to imagine that uh, you maybe you received a, a large inheritance and you needed to figure out what to do with it. And so you went and you interviewed two different bankers. And you sat down at one bank across the table from a banker and you said, now listen, now this is, a, this is a lot of money here that we're talking about and I need to know, are you going to be able to protect this? Are you going to be able to take care of it, help it to grow? And what if the banker said to you, absolutely, we will. Uh, we're we're going to protect that investment. We're going to watch over it. You're always going to have access to it. Uh, you're gonna, it's going to grow beyond your wildest imaginations. You said, thank you very much. I have one more person to see. And then you went to the second bank. And let's imagine you sat down at the table from that banker. You asked him the very same question. Are you going to be able to protect this investment that I, if I give it to you? And what if that banker said, actually, no, we're not. Actually, to be honest with you, if you give your money to us, uh, we are going to almost immediately lose all of it. 
Uh, we're going to give it away. We're going to let people come into the vault and just have, have at it. We're going to use some of it. We're going to steal it. At the end of the day, it's going to be completely gone, and you are going to be left absolutely penniless. Right? Would that be a pretty easy decision to make on which, <laughs> which banker and which bank you were going to go with? And I, and I hope you see already the truth here, right? Jesus is saying that the decision for us is just that easy. That, that if we really want to keep the treasure that we have, if we store it on this bank, if we store it on earth, we're not going to keep it. He says, listen, if you try to store your treasure on earth, rust is going to get at it. Moths are going to get at it. Those were things that attacked treasures in the ancient world. Then he said, thieves are going to break in and steal. That happened then and now. You know, if he was speaking today, he might add a couple other things to it, right? You try to keep your treasure on earth, you're going to lose it because gas prices are going to go up. Inflation is going to be out of control. The stock market is going to have some fluctuations. And listen, even if by some miracle you're able to successfully protect all of your treasure your entire lifetime, what happens to it when you die? That's the point that Jesus is making. He's saying you can't take it with you. In fact, uh, Paul reminded Timothy of that truth in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. He said, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Right? You never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul behind it. There would be no point in that. The reality is every earthly treasure that we have has an expiration date. And the expiration date is the same as ours. And so this is the choice that Jesus is giving us, either to put treasure in this life, on this earth, which one way or another will ultimately all be gone, or to put it somewhere else where rust and moth cannot destroy, where thieves are not able to break in and steal, where inflation has no bearing, where stock market crashes are impossible, to put it in heaven where we as believers are going to live forever. That should be an easy choice for followers of Christ to make. But how do we do that? And how do we put our treasure in heaven? Again, as we said, treasure in heaven represents everything that we do for God, for his glory, that we do forever. There's a lot of things that are wrapped up in that. Now, I believe it includes everything that we do on earth, that, that, that even includes just basic steps of obedience that we take to honor Christ that maybe nobody else sees except the Lord sees it. I think it includes even simple acts of kindness that we do in Jesus' name to meet the needs of other people. Remember, Jesus in another place said that we will be rewarded for every cup of cold water that we gave out in his name. Things as simple and as basic as that. A certainly, heavenly treasure includes lives that have been impacted because we've done what Jesus said in Matthew 5, and we've gone out and we've lived like salt and light. We've introduced people to the truth and the goodness of God. But I think in this context, as we've seen, Jesus is talking primarily about uh, treasure and financial resources. And so certainly heavenly treasure includes when we are generous to his work, when we are generous to those who are hurting, and we give in the name of the Lord. Now, we do not store up treasure in heaven by hoarding things for ourselves. We store up treasure in heaven by giving things away to God and to others by living generously. The same way that the Lord has been generous to us in giving us his one and only son. 
course, we can do that in so many ways. We can do that by sending and supporting missionaries that are working here and around the world. We can do that by supporting Christian ministries like Compassion and and Fellowship of Christian Athletes and our radio ministry, WCIF, and others like it that are helping to spread the message of Christ. Of course, we do that whenever we give through our local church. We're, We're a part then of everything that happens, every life that is changed, every missionary that is sent out. We're a part of that. And it almost goes without saying, of course, that over the next three years, we have a special opportunity to do that, to invest in heavenly things, to invest in lives that will be changed for eternity through greater things. I wish that we had longer to spend on this, but there's a principle in verse 21 that's such a powerful kind of operating principle for our life. Jesus says there, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, There's uh, at least a couple of lessons we can take from that. First of all, just at a very simplistic level, Jesus is saying, if you want to know where your heart is, just look at where your treasure is, right? And so in other words, if your treasure is on earth, if your treasure is wrapped up in the things of this earth, then whether you know it or not, and whether you admit it or not, that's where your heart is also. But Jesus says, if your treasure is in heaven, if you're, you're a part and, and, and your whole life is about giving to support what, what matters for eternity, well, then that's where your heart is also. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. But, you know, I think there's a, another lesson in this verse as well. I think Jesus is saying to us that where we put our treasure also has the power to direct where our hearts go. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I kind of think about it almost like there is a string that is tied from my wallet to my heart, right? And you think about that, right? Wherever I I give to, whatever I put money to, right? It kind of has the effect of pulling my heart in that direction. And isn't that just true to life? Right? You think about it, right? If you buy a new car, maybe you were driving just a beater, clunker car, you know, you never cared about anything to happen to that car. People could have kicked your car, you wouldn't have cared about it. But you go and you buy an expensive new car, and all of a sudden, what are you thinking about a lot? That new car. Making sure you don't park next to a shopping cart. Making sure you don't park too close to a car. They're probably going to open the door and, you know, put a scratch on the new paint, right? If you have kids in the car, you never scared before. But now get your, get your feet off of my seat, right? You're, you're thinking about the car because you put your money towards the car. It, it's that way with, with everything. It's that way with every area of life. And so, you know, when we begin to invest more of our treasure in heavenly things. When we start giving our resources to things that make a difference in where people will spend eternity, what happens to our heart? It works the same way. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts will follow our treasure. Friend, honestly ask yourself that question. Where is my treasure right now? Is it on earth or is it in heaven? And that question matters because according to Jesus, your heart is in the very same place. That's the first probing question that Jesus asks. Where is your treasure? Then in verses 22 and 23, he asks us, what is your focus? What is your focus? Look at those verses with me. Verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, some of y'all don't know that, uh, that I wear contacts. 
And if I don't have my contacts in and I don't, or I don't have glasses on, I mean, I am as blind as a bat. I mean, I am like extremely nearsighted. I cannot see unless something is like two inches in front of my face if I don't have contacts on. I know that some of y'all, you know, you go to the eye doctor, right? And you do those eye tests and some of y'all are able to read down to like the little teeny letters, you know, like, you know, the bottom. How many of y'all can do that? Go ahead, read, don't be shy. And I'm not jealous of you at all. For myself, if I don't have contacts on, I don't have glasses on, I mean, I probably wouldn't know it was an E, the giant E, right? <laughs> unless, unless I already knew it was an E. How many of y'all are like that, right? Where are my visually impaired friends, all right? Awesome. You know, so again, bad eyes, good eyes, right? We all, we all know about that. Jesus is talking about that here. But what does he mean by bad eyes and good eyes? Well, Jesus is speaking metaphorically. When he speaks about bad eyes and good eyes, he's really speaking about bad hearts and good hearts. And he has, also has not changed the subject. You know, the best way to understand a difficult passage is to look at the context of what's around that passage. In the verses right before this, Jesus is speaking about where our treasure needs to be. In the verses right after this, Jesus says, you can't have two masters. You can't serve God and money. We're going to get there in just a minute. He hasn't changed the subject in verses 22 and 23. He's still speaking about that. He's still talking about our attitude towards material things, but he's talking about it in a more general sense. He's talking about the attitude of our heart. And he's saying those who have good eyes, those who have good hearts are those who, who are focused on the right things, right? They're those who, who, who have put their treasure in heaven. They're those who are serving God with their whole heart. But those who have bad eyes, right? Or conversely, those whose treasure is on earth, who are not looking at things the right way. They're not focused on things that will last. But he uses the imagery of the light because he wants to make a point about that. You know, when, when you have eyes that, that do not work and a person is blind, you think about it, there's no light that is coming in through their eyes. And because of that, Jesus says there's no light coming into their body, right? Their experience in this world is one of darkness, and he says, conversely, if your eyes work, right, if your eyes are allowing light to come in, then the reason why you see, the reason why you live in a visual world, you walk in the light because light is coming into your eyes and is filling you. He says it's the same way with our heart. If our heart is right, if our heart is focused on heavenly things, it is a floodgate that allows the light of God's truth to flood into us. And it actually directs the whole course of our life in the right direction. But he says, if, you, if your heart is wrong, if your heart is focused on the wrong things, then you're walking in spiritual darkness. You know, there's a lot of people in this world who can take one of those eye exams and have 20-20 vision when it comes to their physical sight. But according to Jesus's definition, they would be legally blind. Friend, what about you? Would Jesus say right now that you have a good eye or a bad eye? when it comes to your outlook, when it comes to how you view possessions and money and treasure and material things. What is your eye focused on right now? We, we live in a culture that is so consumed with material things, with acquiring more and more and more. Has God's grace set you free from that? And that's really where Jesus turns next, the question of mastery. The question of what has control over our life. Here's the third question Jesus asked. Who is your master? 
Look at verse 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now that word mammon comes from an Aramaic word that refers not just to money, it refers to all the things that money can buy, all of our material possessions. And Jesus is saying something very simple, very basic here. He's saying you cannot have two masters, you can't serve God, and at the same time also be serving money. Now now some of us want to kind of push back on that, right? We want to say, you know, why can't you? I mean, you know, people have two jobs, right? There's some people who work, you know, for one employer during the day. You know, they moonlight for somebody else at night, right? If I can have two employers, two bosses, why can't I have two masters? We need to understand there's a difference between having two employers and two bosses and having two masters. When you're a slave, you only have one master. You can't have two. And Jesus says both money and himself our masters. We have to choose who we're going to serve. No matter how hard we try, we cannot serve both. Now, John Stott talks about how oftentimes we try to come up with different scenarios where we can kind of serve both. You know, we kind of try that. And some people do try that. They try to maybe serve God on Sunday, but serve money from Monday to Saturday. And there's some other people who try to serve God with their lips, but they're really serving money with their heart. There's other people who try to serve God with their appearances, with the way they present themselves to the world. But the reality, if they know their heart and they're honest with themselves, is something very different. But Jesus says we cannot do both. And this is a message that we need to hear in our culture over and over again. Because church, we live again in a culture where the idol of materialism has perhaps a firmer grasp upon our culture than any other culture in the history of the world. And I say that without exaggeration. We live in a place where every day we are bombarded with messages. We're bombarded with advertisements and commercials that are all designed for us to come away with this this lesson. You're not fulfilled. You're not complete if you don't have that or you don't have this. And if you think about it just for a minute, The three things that Jesus talks about here, isn't that what a lot of commercials are about? What we eat, what we drink, and what we wear. It hadn't changed in 2,000 years. And this materialism is always at our doorstep. You know, you go on Facebook, and you know, of course, nobody ever puts anything on Facebook that's like, you know, bad. You know, everybody puts the best things on Facebook, right? And so you go on Facebook, you scroll through your news feed, and everybody's talking about the trips that they're going on and stuff they just bought and the house they just bought. And you go on Pinterest and there's all these cool ideas about things. And you think, you know what? We need to do some sprucing up around here. Our house needs to probably look like that, right? It's, it's, it's all around us. And, and, and we're lying to ourselves if we say it doesn't have an effect on us. It does. That's why we need to hear these words from Jesus over and over again, you cannot serve two masters. We cannot claim to be followers of Jesus Christ and view money the same way that the world does. It just doesn't work. I'm afraid that perhaps there are some in this room, some listening right now who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ and yet you will not do what Jesus calls you to do and you will not go where Jesus calls you to go because the things of this world have wrapped their tentacles around your heart. 
But the good news today is that Jesus Christ has the power to set us free. He can break every chain in our life, including the chain and the grip of materialism. And he wants to set us free so that we can live in a way that he's called us to live, even in this materialistic culture in which we now live. But in order for that to happen, we have to let his word and his spirit do the surgery in our hearts that it needs to do. We need to let his grace wash our thinking, change the way that we think about what really matters. So far, Jesus has asked three difficult probing questions. He's asked us, where is your treasure? He's asked us, what is your focus? He's asked us, who is your master? And at the end of chapter six, he asked us one more question. He says, as children of the heavenly father, why do you worry? And and it might seem like Jesus is changing the subject in verse 25 when he starts talking about worry for the rest of the chapter, but he really isn't. And, And that's because the topics of treasure and worry are pretty intricately wound together, if you think about it. In fact, think about what is the thing that we probably worry about more than anything else? Our treasure. And that's what Jesus brings out even in this text, right? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? How are we going to afford clothes, right? It's all linked together. And it's linked together, treasure and worry, whether you have a lot or you have a little. You know, if you have a lot, you know, Solomon talked about this in Ecclesiastes. The more you have, the more you worry about, right? If you have more houses, more land, more property, more people working for you, you have more stuff to worry about all the time. Is this going to break? What's going to happen with Joe? And yeah, I mean, just more worry. How am I going to protect it? How am I going to help it to grow? On the other side, you know, if you don't have as much, then, then you're, you can fall into that trap of worry as well, right? Instead of worrying about how I'm going to protect it, you're worrying about how am I going to get it? How am I going to meet my needs and how are my bills going to get paid? And one way or another, we can fall into this trap of worry. And, and you know, there is an immediate application of what Jesus is teaching here about worry and treasure. E- even this week for us as a church, as we look ahead to Commitment Sunday, next Sunday, again, we're praying this week over the next seven days together about what the Lord is leading us to do even in this giving area for the next three years. And, and over the, the next seven days, as we pray, we ask the Lord what he's calling us to do. And, and the Lord will answer that prayer, I believe, and he'll lay on our heart what it is he's calling us to do. And you know what the next thing is likely to happen inside of our heart right after we hear from the Lord on that is worry and fear and doubt. And we say, well, God, I'm not really sure about that. I'm not really sure I can do that. I'm not really sure I, I can, you know, you know, give to that. I, I just don't, I don't think I can do that, Lord. And, and, and we'll, we'll start coming up with reasons. And we'll say, you know, Lord, I just don't know what the future holds. I mean, this is like three years. I don't know what's going to happen in three years. Inflation's gone up like 4% in the last month. I, I don't know. I, I just can't do that. I don't know the future. I don't know the next three years. And this is where we need to remember that the person that we're talking to, the person that we're asking to lead us and guide us, is the one who does know what's going to happen the next three years. He also knows what's going to happen the next three billion years. And so at the end of the day, what he's calling us to do is to trust in where he is leading us. And this is true in every area of the Christian life. You know, a lot of times we like to overcomplicate things, but at the end of the day, the Christian life is about trusting and obeying. Trusting and obeying that we have a good, good father and leaving the rest to him. Of course, there are other things that we can worry about other than money. We know that. We can worry about our health. If you're a parent, worry about our kids, 
our grandkids. We can worry about a thousand different things. And at times, of course, all of us in this room, myself included, we fall into that trap of worry. And we'll have to move quickly here, but, but in verses 25 through 34, Jesus gives us the antidote to anxiety and worry. First of all, he tells us very clearly that worry is unnecessary. Worry is unnecessary. Look at verse 25. Jesus said, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, this is called an argument from greater to lesser. Jesus is saying, we don't need to worry about these lesser things. We don't need to worry about these basic necessities of life because life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. And if God has already done the harder things, right? God has already created you and me. God has already given us the body that we have and we walk around in, right? If God has done all of that, he definitely can do the easier things. He definitely can provide the things that we need to eat and the clothes that we need to wear. And then Jesus gives us a couple illustrations from nature to just drive that truth home even more. He talks about birds and he talks about flowers. As Charles Spurgeon says, we need to let birds be our school teachers, right? We need to learn from them, sit in their classroom. That's what Jesus is telling us to do. And he says, if you just watch the birds, I mean, they don't go out with, a, with oxen and plow the fields, right? They don't build barns to store all their grain. For the, they don't do that, right? And yet the heavenly father feeds them. Now he feeds them through the natural creation processes that he has built, but he feeds them. And so theologically speaking, it's just as if the father reaches down his hand from heaven and puts the seed in the bird's mouth. He says, just look at that. Look at how God feeds them. Then he says, look at the flowers. And, and he brings up Solomon. He's saying, you know, even Solomon with as much money as he had, as fancy a clothes as he had, he never looked as good. He didn't have anything on a wildflower. A wildflower still looked better than he does. And it doesn't do anything. It doesn't work hard. It's just there. And yet God makes it beautiful. And this is an argument from lesser to greater, right? God is saying, if, if he takes care of the flowers and if he takes care of the birds, he says, are you not of much more value than they are? If he takes care of the birds and the flowers, do you not think he's going to take care of you? He is going to take care of you. He's going to provide. He's going to meet your needs. And so we see that worry is unnecessary. Jesus also says that worry is unproductive. That it just doesn't do anything. It doesn't accomplish anything. Look at verse 27. He says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Now in the Greek text, the words that are used there can actually be translated to mean either that, either you can't make yourself any taller. The same Greek word though can also mean you can't make yourself live any longer. I think that's probably what Jesus was saying. The NIV translates it that way. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? And we know that worrying doesn't make us live any longer. In fact, we've kind of learned recently that worrying actually might make you live a little shorter, right? The stress and anxiety and all that, the effect that it has upon our body. It's just a total colossal waste of human time and energy. In verse 34, the last verse in this, in this chapter, Jesus says, and he puts his finger right on our hearts, doesn't he? Because he says, you know what we do a lot of times is we actually go to tomorrow and we borrow trouble from tomorrow that we're not even there yet. We're not even living there yet, but we borrow the trouble for tomorrow. We import it into the trouble of today. And he says, why are you going to do that? Every day has enough trouble of its own, right? Just take one day at a time and leave the rest to him. You know, I've heard it said that uh, there's really only two things that you should never worry about. 
you should never worry about things that you can control and things that you can't. Right, those are the only two things. Right, you think about that with me just a second. It's going to hit you. Because if you think about things that you can control, you shouldn't worry about it, right? If you, if you can do something about it, what should you do? Do something about it. If you think about things that you can't do anything about, what should we do with that? Well, we can't worry about it because we can't do anything about it anyway. Right? So we give it to the Lord. We trust the Lord with those things. And this is what Paul wrote to us in Philippians, to not be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication to let our requests be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus said that worry is unnecessary. Worry is unproductive. Finally, he says that worry is unchristian. I know that sounds harsh. And, and, and again, I know we all are guilty of worrying from time to time. But just because we're all guilty of it doesn't mean that it's something that is worthy of a follower of Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 31, Jesus says, therefore, do not worry. Again, is this a suggestion? Now, this is a command. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Do you hear the unbelief in those questions? Right? When we say to God, God, what am I going to eat? Right? It's like the Israelites in the wilderness, right? What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? There's unbelief in that question. What we're saying to God is, God, you're not going to provide. You're not really a good father. You don't really know what's going on in my life. Jesus says we're called to trust him. And when we live like that, when we worry like that, we're not living like a child of the king. We're living like someone who doesn't even know God. That's what he says in verse 32. He says, for after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Now, technically, everybody that isn't Jewish is a Gentile. But here, Jesus is using that word to refer to people who are outside of the covenant of God, people who have not been saved by God, people that are living like pagans. And he's saying that these are the kind of things that, that people who don't know God seek after. And this goes back to what we already talked about. Where is our treasure? Right? That, that isn't our treasure. We don't seek after those things because we have a higher treasure than that. And we don't seek after the gifts because we're seeking after the giver. And then Jesus says, you don't need to worry about that because your father already knows that you need those things and he is going to take care of you. You know, it's like a, a little child who feels at peace when they're being held in the arms of their father. They're not worried if their father's going to drop them. They know daddy has them. We should be the very same way. We are held in the arms of our father. He's never dropped us before. He's not going to drop us now. He will meet our every need. And so church, what do we have to worry about when from start to finish, from beginning to end, our life is in the hands of a sovereign, good, loving father. I know that we've been talking about giving together today and part of this journey we're going through as a church and how we can give to the Lord. But you know, the most important giving that has ever happened in this world is not the giving that we do to God. The most important giving by far that has happened in this world is the giving that God has given to us. Now, Pastor David quoted that verse early in our service from the book of James, that every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. 
Everything that we have in our life, every good gift is from him. He has given it to us. He's entrusted it to us, but it's all from him. And you know, the greatest gift that he's ever given is the gift of Jesus. One of my favorite verses in the Bible about giving is actually probably the most well-known verse in the whole Bible. John 3, 16. If y'all know it, quote it with me. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, when you look at the storyline of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, at the heart of that story, the very center of that story is a gift. And, and it's the gift of Christ. Salvation is not something we can buy. I hope you hear that. It's not something we can buy. We can't afford it. Salvation is something that is only possible because of the precious gift of the blood of Jesus Christ, the eternal son of the father. That was the price that was required to set you free, to set me free. You know, we think about that gift. We think about Christmas time, right? We're only a few months away from that now. We think about that gift that was given to us in Bethlehem. And then we fast forward to the end of Jesus's ministry. And we think about that gift that was given to us at the cross where Jesus suffered and died, where he paid for my sin, he paid for your sin. Friend, if you have never received Jesus into your life, I pray you would receive that gift today. That gift will change your life as it's changed mine. It will change your eternity. And when you receive that gift of Jesus, not only do you receive the gift of Jesus, you receive the gift of forgiveness. You receive the gift of salvation. You receive the gift of life. Life in this world, the abundant life that he wants you to have free from the chains and grip of sin, he can set us free to live in a different way and the gift of eternal life. That's what that verse says, right? Whoever believes in me should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Friend, that's the gift that's available to you. He calls us to turn from our sin and turn to Christ and receive that gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can't work for it, can't buy it. We just receive it by faith. I wanna ask you right now to stand and if God is speaking to you, about receiving that gift of Jesus. You come right now. Share that with me. Share that with one of the other pastors that's here at the front. Say, I need to receive that gift of Jesus right now. You come as we sing together.